people don't like cliches and they'll say, oh, bloody cliches. Yeah. But a cliche is something, it's a cliche because it's repeated often. It's repeated often, often because it is a kind of accepted law yeah. or rule or, or case, if you like. I would bump into guys who I maybe used to work with in the past at my old uh, company and things like that, and they'd be like, oh, you're lazy, you're you for tools now, and I'm thinking, no, this is like just another level. It's a mentally, like, sort of more draining thing. An amazing landscaper plants an estate garden knowing he'll never see it or she'll never yeah. see it at its best. Yeah, or, you know, people might start building a cathedral knowing it'll probably won't finish till they're dead. Yeah. doesn't mean it's not the right thing to, to start that journey. Probably something that I've noticed from yourself as well. It looks <laughs> as though you look to the people who's had success in the area you want to be and you almost go and mirror it. And I think that's probably yeah. something that Tony Robbins does speak about. Thanks for hosting us here today at your lovely home. It's a pleasure. Let's, uh, where did it all begin for you? Let's start there. Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, I've just been to a family uh, wedding and uh, catching up with, with all the family. It does often take you back and with my sisters and they're saying, oh, do you remember this and do you remember that? And it's easy to say we were brought up in poverty. Now, as a kid, it is, you don't look at poverty or wealth. It just is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, pigs don't realise pigs stink. You know, kids yeah. are poor, don't realise they're poor till they get a bit older. But you did, we certainly did um, go without. So, yeah. you know, and a lot of people see that as, as as a problem. You know, to me, it was, we were closer because, you know, till I was 11, I shared a bed with two brothers. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, my dad buggered off and left us on our own. So we then lived in a hospice for six months. And then we lived in a, a caravan for four years. And then I shared a bedroom uh, till I left home sort of thing uh, with my brothers and I only went to school because my mum would make sure we went so we would get a cooked meal guaranteed each day and things like that yeah. and people could say oh that's terrible I can say I'll tell you what that that she found a way to give us what we needed yeah uh, and actually it gave us a taste for when you know what you haven't got if it becomes a burning desire you want to get it. And if that money becomes a burning desire, you know, we were surrounded by love for each other. My mum cared for us, you know, literally she beat a teacher up who hit me once. Uh, you know, she wasn't a woman to be messed with. Yeah. But but the sometimes going without that delayed gratification, that hunger mm -hmm. is what will make you do what's necessary. So growing up as kids, we were always willing to work. We did paper rounds, milk rounds, potato picking, mm -hmm. car washing. Uh, and you start to get a flavour that if I work, I can earn some money. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I wanted some nicer clothes. Well, we couldn't afford new clothes. But if I helped out at the jumble sales, which are today's car boots, yeah. I get first pickings kind of thing. So we, we've become duckers and divers of how to survive. Yeah. And the problem is, if your kids have never gone through any kind of survival or mm. going without or delayed gratification, they actually don't build any of those kind of natural... Um, hunger drive if you like or burning desire to improve their lot and i'm not saying you should abuse kids in any way but they need to learn the importance of earning even if you make them earn to get it and so we had that growing up um made me really ambitious i saw my mum going without without uh, for us uh and that was another learning for me that actually you can be more driven to help someone else than you can yourself mm -hmm. we'll often say i want a ferrari but then it gets tough and I think, oh, my fear's fine, you know, yeah. um, uh, and, and it's easy to give up. But if it's, I want to buy my mum a house because she gave up everything for us yeah. or 
I want my kids to be at least able to have what the other kids have got. Yeah. So, you know, the motivation then to help others drove me a lot. I, I like I like that. So you, you've you sort of what, took yourself out what could have been easily a victim mentality. Yeah. To say, oh, my dad left us, my mum just like, we didn't have very much, but you actually looked at it the opposite and said, well, actually we had a lot compared to what could yeah. have been. And, and I think that's like, you've actually just flipped the mindset well, there. And all the cliches, I mean, cl- people don't like cliches and they'll say, oh, bloody cliches. Yeah. But a cliche is something, it's a cliche because it's repeated often. It's repeated often, of, often because it is a kind of accepted law yeah. or rule or, or case, if you like. So, uh, you know, failure um, uh, is success turned inside out. Iron doesn't become steel until it's been yeah. through the fire. All of those kind of analogies. I mean, you know, not only losing a dad, my stepdad hated me. He was a violent man who abused me uh, physically, uh, you know, beat me up several times, knocked me out uh, before. Now, I used to grow up saying, and I'd say to him, and it's probably why he hated me so much, as a little kid, and I was always little, I'd stare him in the eye and say, you're getting older and weaker, I'm getting older and stronger, and I'm going to kill you one day. Yeah. And I would I would look at him with that absolute bloody intent. But you can either become a victim, mm-hmm. or you can use that, that, that uh, anger, uh, like a fire in your belly to drive, that doesn't mean it has to become violent. Mm-hmm. So the best way for me to, to win as I got older, I saw a lot of violence in my family mm-hmm. and in and around the environment in which we grew up. But I always thought, well, that never ends well. And I always wanted to kind of do more with my head. And I guess because yeah. I was a reader and they say readers are leaders, I never heard about people becoming successful other than mafia by beating people up or violence. Yeah. It was about, you know, they were clever. They went to university. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I ever did. But, you know, or they worked hard mm-hmm. uh, and they built a business, you know. And so I guess we, we all have these pathways. And for me, it, it was always going to be about learning, becoming better, uh, uh, observing, uh, emulating people who were successful uh, and constantly saying, what's next, what's next, what's yeah. next? No, that's interesting. And did you, so do you think then that you were, because I've seen you ask this question before, but do you think you were born sort of an entrepreneur then, or do you think that was made through the environment? How, how, did, how <clears throat> yeah, I, did, I, I think everyone's born the same. Yeah. Okay. But I don't think everyone can be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And where I think it comes from as a behavioral profile, I don't know if you ever heard the saying of show me a boy of seven and I'll show you a man. Now, it's, yeah. not, it's not sexist, it's the same for women as well. But that's because our behavior is pretty, the behavioral foundation is pretty much set in place by the time you're seven. Yeah. So those first few formative years are really crucial to, mm-hmm. to build the character, to build the resilience, yeah. to build the strength, to build the understanding of, of you earn, you don't, you don't get given and so on. So if they've got that entrepreneurial um, work ethic and drive, you'll see it as yeah. a young kid. You, you can't go to school and at 16 decide, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You know, 70% of entrepreneurs go through at least one bout of mental health issues in their life. Now, that could just be anxiety. That could be depression. Mm-hmm. That could be at any point in time with the people I'm uh, uh, mentoring, someone's going through divorce. Someone's addicted to drugs and we're trying to work through that. Someone's an alcoholic. Uh, someone's dealing with their own anger issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe wanted to kill himself, and there's all this stuff going on. It's not easy, yeah. You know, because uh, y- you've got a high likelihood of failure. Yeah. So, to me, when I used to get young people, and I was entrepreneur in residence, coming up and say, "I want to be an entrepreneur." Why do you want to be an entrepreneur? Oh, well, I want to be like Richard Branson. Yeah. Why do you want to be like Richard Branson? He's got loads of money. Okay, 
did you realise he was broke most of his 20s? Uh, he lived on a boat, a little barge kind of thing. Did you realise that, you know, this amount of things he went through and so on, that he's struggled with relationships for a long time? You know, so what I try and do is sell the negative and if they're still determined yeah, and they're still... Th- because a lot of the time they want comfort, they want security, they want financial success. Yeah. But... There's other ways to get to that. You know, you can get a good job and be comfortable and be secure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes you get people who are millionaires that feel abject failures because they want to be billionaires. So, so here's one then. So, for example, like I resonate with a lot of things you were saying about your childhood. And I think some of my drive to be an entrepreneur probably came from a bit of lack here and there. And and, and like, like you, I've sort of went, well, you can look at it as, oh, I didn't have this or I didn't have that. Or you can take it, what's the lessons that I took from it. But then I look at like my kids and then thinking about your daughters, like I'm guessing they've had a completely different upbringing because of the position you've got yourself into. How can our kids become entrepreneurs if they're maybe got that possibility falling into that trap of like that entitlement kind of yeah, well, is there, is, Have you found a, a way to yeah, I mean, teach my entrepreneurial values as well as like them not having to suffer and almost have lack if that makes sense absolutely so my wife um i mean she literally never held a baby when we had our first baby and my my family breed like rabbits we have a big family uh so you know even at 11 i could change a nappy in about 20 seconds you know it's like looking after the 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 nephews and nieces and so on but julia hadn't i thought oh god i love her to bits but she's gonna be a shit mum sort of thing (laughs) anyway she was just a perfect earth mum uh and and just natural with it but not she didn't just accept being natural. Uh, she uh, went back part-time after the first one, then uh, was a full-time mum after a second one. But she read book after book after book after book about the psychology of sisters. Yeah. You know, why the oldest one wants to uh, rule the world and the second one wants to change it. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, teenage girls and mums. You know, she read all these books because... She didn't just want to fail her way to being a successful mum. She wanted to be ahead of the game Mm -hmm. and learn from other people how to do that. So um, because of that, she knew how to work with them. And she did more of that early upbringing than I did because I was busy building the business. But already, um, whether it's Anthony, I went on the Tony Robbins Master University for four years and so on. Unleash the Power Within. Uh, I've always like absorbing these cassette tapes as they were then yeah. of different inspiring people, Zig Ziglar, Jim Ron, uh, and so on. So already in my head, there were the sayings of readers are leaders. Yeah. So I was reading all the time. I wanted them to read all the time. They could both mm-hmm. do their, their alphabet before they went to school, for instance. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, the first school, which is a couple of miles up the road here for our oldest, uh, I wanted to be involved because I wanted to somewhat I'm not a control freak, but I wanted to be aware of what was going on. So I became a trustee when she started. Yeah. And we would get literally some people would write in saying things. Can you tell them that, that bedtime is seven o'clock because they won't listen to us? Mm. And I'm thinking, you're the fucking parents. You know, you should be telling them that. This isn't for a teacher. Mm. And they sort of want some people wanted to um, give up the parenting to school yeah. or to the government or so. Yeah. Take responsibility, no, like become a parent, learn how to become yeah. a parent, learn the skills that they need. And literally, there were people going to school. There are people going to school, kids going to school that cannot use a knife and fork. And mm-hmm. I said to the head when we went for the pre-visit, 
what does she need to do before she comes? And I'm thinking he's going to say, say her alphabet or whatever. And he said, it'd be really good if she could wipe her bum uh, and use a knife and fork. And I laughed. I thought he was joking. Absolutely fucking not. So many kids are brought up eating chips and sandwiches uh, and finger food, sitting yeah. in front of a telly. They, they don't know how to use a knife and fork. Yeah, uh, and they still sit on the loo and shout, finish! You know, like the kids all do. <laughs> I run through, wipe their ass from It's like you're two now. You can learn to do it yourself. This is how you do it. Yeah. And I'm not going to help you. You can sit there all day moaning. You're going to do it yourself. Yeah. So even from early stages like that, but then for me, if they would say something like, um, I hate her, I say, no, you don't. She, she says, to, why do you hate her? Well, she did this. Okay, so you hate this. She did this. And so even as little kids, we talked to them about that. Or, Rosie, why did you hit Amelia? She made me. No, she didn't. Uh, she did. She did this. Okay, so she did that. You hit her. The space between stimulus and response is a choice. Yeah. And so people would say, Mike, they're bloody young. They wouldn't understand that shit. I say, they will when they're older. They'll look back. Yeah. And if you look back now, it's often not until you're an adult you realize how right your parents yeah. were. But that doesn't mean to say they shouldn't have said it back then. Yeah. Uh, and so then the internet came about and social media. My girls went to a great school, a boarding school. But every birthday, their mates were having these great big flash parties and that. I'd take them to an adventure playground that was a charity I was involved in. Mm -hmm. Or I'd I'd take them to somewhere that was really going to bring them down to earth. Um, Every day, I'd wake up in the morning, grab my phone. The first thing I do when I have my coffee is I'll swipe through, and I used to look for inspirational quotes. And every single day for about 10 years, I would send both of my daughters an individual quote uh, that I thought would help them through something they were dealing with at the moment or would make them think about something. So I was really conscious. I was putting hooks into them. I was programming them for failure breeds success for, um, you know, you don't need a load of friends to be successful. In fact, you know, thinking you've got a thousand friends, you've probably got less than that. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever the quotes or the little bits they were going through, don't get me wrong, they hated it mm-hmm. some days. Yeah. But then if I missed a day, they might drop me a message back. Mm, and so it was starting to become part of their behavior. You know, I see my little and crying when my wife would say, you said you wanted to do music in the, in the music room, 20 minutes every single day. It's yeah. only 20 minutes. You know, now she plays in symphony orchestras uh, in London alongside me doing psychology. My oldest has just finished a master's in cognitive neuroscience. You know, they might have gone to a good school, but they didn't just go to a good school. They performed at an outstanding level because we taught them that the importance of the combination of education and work ethic and drive and goal setting. So they didn't just do well. They both got 11 A stars, not A's, 11 A stars at GCSE. One got A A star, A A level, uh, and then the other got two A stars and A A level. One got a first in her degree. The other's on track for a first, and she's just uh, she's going to get a first or the equivalent in her yeah. masters. They are outstanding, uh, and I can take some credit for it. I didn't make them outstanding. The school didn't make them outstanding. There were still people who went through those schools and and are broken by that experience. Yeah. Um, but what we did is with the combination of what the school was teaching them and our parenting, our focusing them, not letting them get away with shit all the time, uh, keeping them focused on what was right and wrong, yeah. uh, keeping them focused on, yeah, you, you, you're not a failure, you failed at that, let's try again. Yeah. Or can you notice how last year you were just a grade one, but now you're a grade three? We're, we've, we've moved through that. You actually did the, the hard work. Like, that's the uh, thing. It's like much it's easier. Easy, it's easy to say, all right, okay, just have that then. Or yeah. sit there with the iPad and... Just like give me peace or whatever, but you actually did the hard work. No, and they, they absolutely earned it. Yeah. And and you know, it's the thing about private schools. 
I went to a school that was once called a demonized depository for social waste. It was a complete shithole. Um, and, but the teachers still wanted to teach you if you'd learn. But the problem is most kids hadn't been brought up to want to learn or didn't yeah. have a desire to learn. The ones that did, did really well. It's amazing how many good people came out of a terrible school, if yeah. you like. And there were some amazing teachers in there. But I wanted the odds stacked in favour. So the power of association is everything. You will be the average of the five people you spend most time with. The average income, the average attitude, the average um, health, because you'll eat similar food. Mm -hmm. You know, everything, really. Uh, And I wanted them to be around other winners. But also people think, oh, they've got it easy. Look at them, rich mummy, rich daddy. Do you know, my girls, they were woken up when they boarded. And we gave them a choice because it's about 40 minutes away. We'll drive you each day. Are you bored? It was hard not to board by the time they're 13 because of the amount of work. Mm-hmm. They're up a quarter to seven. Okay. They're in school at eight o'clock. Yeah. They get back from school at five o'clock. They've got an hour before dinner. At seven o'clock, they go into homework. And even if they've got no homework, they read until nine o'clock. So it was like 7 a.m. till 9 p.m., six days a week. And on Sundays, they had to do sport or something else. You know, it, this, it ain't easy. It's, it's probably easy. double the work hours yeah. uh, of any normal school. So, Oh, they all do really well. Well, no shit, Sherlock. If you do twice as much work, <laughs> you'll do really well. Yeah. You know, so when they went to uni, um, it, it was a piece of piss for them. They were doing less than half the hours at university than they ever did at school, whereas other kids were having to step up that game. You know? Yeah, so catch up from if, this thing. If, if you will, you know, I used to say to my kids, I will do today what others will not, so I can live tomorrow as others cannot. Mm-hmm. And all these sayings I would have, I could start two words, they'd finish the sentence. They know where it's going, mm-hmm. sort of thing. But also, I would make them do what others will not, yeah. so that they can live as others cannot later yeah. in life. And they get that now. You know, they've already got those choices. Yeah. And then back to you then, so that sort of upbringing was tough. And when, when did the entrepreneurial stuff kind of start? Like, where was your... Where did you make your first step on the kind of career ladder and things? Yeah, well, well, that hunger will do that for you. I mean, yeah. you know, if, if you're literally starving and you, or you want some sweets or you want a bike and your mum and dad can't get you a bike, but you get a paper round or you wash some cars or you do some gardening mm-hmm. or you pick potatoes and you get some money, you realise, oh, I've got £2 this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and let's say a bike was 20 quid at that time. If I do that for, 20, for 10 weeks, I'll get a bloody bike, you know. Yeah. And so teaching them that if they work they earn I learned that the more I worked the more I earn it wasn't until later in life when I'd suddenly see an area manager when I so I became a paperboy Saturday land summer job assistant mm-hmm. manager and then I'd see the area manager and think oh he's not just running one shop he's running 12 mm-hmm. shops yeah so and he's been paid a lot more yeah. and he's got a really nice car so I sort of think well, I don't want this one-to-one ratio. Yeah. I want I want a scale up, if you like. And uh, and then realising in business that anything I do one-to-one, and we're talking trades, especially, yeah. a lot of the trades I mentor, um, I mean, let's go back a little bit. A lot of them don't do well in school. They think they failed at school. Mm-hmm. I flip that. School failed them. Yeah. Now, a huge percentage of people in trades are somewhere on the spectrum. They've got dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, ADD. That doesn't make them bad. That just is a fact. Mm-hmm. And because of that, though, if you've got ADHD, you can't focus for more than 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, if school says to you, we've got an hour of maths, it's like, oh, fucking hell. Mm-hmm. If they say, we could do double maths, it's like, kill me now. You yeah. know, it's, it, school failed them. Yeah. And the reason I know they didn't fail at school and the school failed them is because in the three years after school, they got a certificate that said they were a registered corgi heating engineer or they were an electrical engineer or they learned to build houses you know so they are 
definitely teachable when yeah. they're in the right environment with the right kind of teacher yeah. that's going to teach you in the right way. So what I'll then say is, but the problem is you've been learned how to work on the tools. That's a one-to-one ratio. Mm-hmm. When you're doing, you can earn £10 an hour, £20 an hour, £30 an hour, whatever it is, mm-hmm. but it's a one-to-one ratio. Yeah. So the fact that you went from school, you thought you weren't good, you proved you could be good, you can learn, you did qualify. I want to now teach you to get off the tools and to work on the business. Mm-hmm. To work on the business, we need to understand people, building winning teams, motivating, yeah. attracting the right people, training them, um, retaining them. I need to teach you marketing, building a brand. What does your brand stand for? Not just doing the job. What's your brand? Is it yeah. a personal brand? Is it a business brand? I need to teach them finance. It's easy to make money, but if you piss more out the bottom than you make, mm. you're losing money. Yeah. You know, so going through those elements that are about learning the skills of the business mm-hmm. rather than how to use the tools of a trade, we can get them to build a business. And then from there, we can teach them about scaling a business. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it just started as a hunger to get a bike have some sweets because mm-hmm. they, they were kind of, we couldn't afford that stuff. Or my mum would say, we're going on holiday to Nan's caravan down at the coast. Uh, I wanted some spending money. Yep. And even then she would say, I mean, we'd save a couple of quid, but she would say, whatever you save, I'll double it. Mm-hmm. And spending money on holiday. So yeah. if I say to Fiverr, I'm going to have a tenner yeah. kind of thing. You know, uh, so she would motivate us in her own small way. Uh, but then later I learned that, um, physically doing was very inefficient and could never make you uh, wealthy yeah. at a level that would provide for the rest of your life and beyond. It's probably quite a hard thing for trades. I don't know if you come across this a lot, but even like on my journey coming off the tools, like I used to maybe still be popping into merchants and getting materials ready for my guys who were now doing the jobs and I'd kind of just was organising the jobs at this point and you kind of go up through the gears. But like I would bump into guys who I maybe used to work with in the past at my old uh, company and things like that, and they'd be like, oh, you're lazy, you're off the tools now. And I'm thinking, no, this is like just another level. It's a mentally like sort of more draining thing. It's maybe no as tiring physically, and you are kind of pulling back from that actual one-to-one work, like you said, yeah. but you're actually building something a lot more spectacular. But in that sort of ego-driven industry, like people are all about, like it's the more the harder you work on this, the harder you work on that, the better it is. And it's it's like, how do you get inside the minds of these guys to change that, to think that it is about leverage and it's about building a team that can look after, like the more yeah, people yeah. that sort of you're working with or, or is working for you as such, you know, the more leverage you can have. How do you get them to change that mentality? Yeah, to, well, to change what they've always done. So as a behavioural profiler, I was always interested in evolution of man, evolution of behaviour, mm-hmm. you know, and so on. And when I look back at how people learned, I mean, you go back 300 years, the average person was uneducated. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did we rule those people? We ruled them through fear. We said, if you're a good person, you're going to heaven. If you're a bad person, you're going to hell. Yeah. And then politics was a way of doing it. And then as people became educated, we actually, not many people, even in schools today, say, if you work really hard, you could have your own business. Mm-hmm. What they say is you can get a good job. Yeah. We're almost conditioning people uh, to, to, to get a good job, if you like. So I would look back and say, well, how did people learn before this kind of education thing, mm-hmm. which is programming people somewhat? And I say that as, a, as an opera of education, Anglia Ruskin, I do support education, if you listen to Anglia Ruskin, very much, <laughs> marriage uh, of the two things. But the way that we were taught pre-formal education was through stories. Yeah, You know, our, our forefathers would tell each other stories. Mm-hmm. Now those stories, because they're told in a story-like way, are more memorable, they're more compelling. They're, we can pass them on really easily. They're not taught in 
one, two, four, six, you know, whatever mm-hmm. in in lines. They're not. They're not. They don't have to be written down and double checked for a spelling. Yeah. You know, it's about I'm going to teach you something and teach you the story. So my style is very much about using metaphors and analogies and mm-hmm. examples, real examples. Look at Charlie Mullins. You know, yep. left school at 15, said he should have left at 14 because at yeah. 14 he already knew he want, only ever wanted to be a plumber, yeah. and he sold last year for 146 million. Now, if he can do that, and he'll tell you himself. Anyone can do it. Yep. Neville Wright built Kitty Care, now worth over 200 million quid. Uh, dyslexic, ADHD, uh, was, was a window cleaner who got frustrated that he just couldn't ever clean enough windows to give it to feed his family properly. Yep. So out, he started thinking, what can I do? Oh, a decorator earns a bit more. Oh, the builder earns more than the decorator. And, and I can build stuff. And then yeah. he built a shop and, and so on. So using those stories and the, the success systems that other people have mm-hmm. is the way that I try to teach them. But then I also come down to behavior. And in chapter eight, I talk a lot about we are a pack animal. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you look at wolves, and often they're the kind of more black and white pack approach, and we can understand it better. If you're part of a pack, you're safe. You know your place in the pack, you mm-hmm. deliver for the pack, wherever you expect it to. I hope you're enjoying Success is a System. Every Tuesday, we launch it on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Drop us a note and tell us who you would like to see or hear on Success is a System or what subject you'd like us to cover to help you and your business. Success is a System, like, subscribe, and make sure you get it every Tuesday for great lessons and systems that have made people wealthy, healthy, and successful. If you want to challenge the boss, there's going to be a fight. And, uh, you know, if you're strong enough, you might become the next alpha. Uh, I mean, interestingly enough, the alpha will teach the alpha pups how to kill him. Mm. I mean, it's teaching them a fight, knowing that one day one of them will kill him, but he wants them to be strong enough to be a good because it's more the pack he wants. He wants them to be the biggest leader. But if you try and leave a pack, there's every chance they're going to kill you. Mm -hmm. You then leave a pack and then you've got to join a new pack. And trying to join a new pack, there's every chance they're going to kill you because you're going to have to fight your way in to that pack. Now, we're not physically going to kill each other in human pack sense. But if I leave leave this social group, Mm -hmm. they're going to say, oh, wanker, I think you're too good for us or, you know, lazy, so-and-so. And so so suddenly we can be killed socially or emotionally or psychologically. Uh, And then we've got to find this new pack where we're perhaps not quite good enough because we're right at the yeah. start of the journey yeah. and we've got to kind of scrap our way in. So socially, economically, uh, emotionally and psychologically, you're risking, like, it, it's, a, it's a hard thing to leave and it's a hard thing to gain. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people want to stay in the trades. They know that game. Yeah. They're, they're in their pack. They know where they fit. They feel comfortable. People around them make them feel comfortable. It's like a family. Yeah. Uh, and we all know what we're going to do. We all learn about the same. We're all kind of equal. Yeah. But you decided to leave that. Mm-hmm. That's really tough. And they're going to kind of bring you back down. Yeah. It's like if you look at crabs in a bucket, I don't, and yeah. you can Google these things. Two things I often talk about. Fleas in a jar, crabs in a bucket. Put a load of crabs in a bucket. They'll try to climb out. When anyone tries to come out, one of the others will pull it back in. It's like, you're trying to get out, they'll come back here. Mm-hmm. You're to come back here. They, they, they just don't want you to go. Yeah. Or they don't know what you're doing, so they'll grab you back. Yeah. Fleas, you look at the flea in the jar, Google that on YouTube or whatever, and they put a load of fleas in a jar, and the fleas can jump eight feet or whatever. The jar's only six inches, and they hit the top, hit the top, hit the top, hit the top, hit the top. But after three days, they take that lid off. The fleas have learned. If I jump any higher than that, I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah. So they only jump this high. What's really interesting is when those fleas breed, their offspring only jump that high. 
Yeah. You know, it's this learned limiting behavior. Yeah. So often what we believe to be true isn't true. It's only true in our um, uh, environment based on our beliefs. Mm-hmm. But those beliefs are limiting beliefs. They are not fact. They are feeling. And feelings and thoughts are not facts. Mm-hmm. So if someone else can be better, more wealthy, more happy, more free than you can too. Yeah. Because, you know, we've got the same kind of size brain. Yeah. We've got the same kind of physicality. Humans, like, yeah. In fact, people with a lot less physicality than us are successful. Yeah. With more reason to fail are successful. So I'll use all these kind of metaphors, analogies, stories, or ways of trying to explain things that aren't two plus two is four. Well, how? Because well, I say so. Yeah, but I don't kind of, well, okay. And if you just tell a kid two plus two is four, four plus four is eight. Yeah. Well, that's okay, but you're just telling me stuff and you'll repetitively teach you there. If you say, if I've got two apples here and I've got two apples there, how many apples have I got? I've got four apples. Okay, if I take one away, how many have I got? I've got three apples. Suddenly, we're teaching it not just robotically yeah. kind of repetitive. Yeah, because as so we, people learn in different ways. It's either visually, auditory, kinesthetically actually doing. Yeah. And we need to understand how to teach in a way that each person learns. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a passion at the moment. I'm, I'm working through some of my PR guys to try and get something started around revolutionizing um, education. Mm-hmm. If we look at transport, we walked, we rode horses, we had horse-drawn carts, we got steam engines, we got cars, we got planes, we got trains, we got all these things. Travelers had a massive evolution. Communication, we spoke, we drew pictures, we writ- written word, we printed the written word, we got emails, we can communicate the other side of the world in a split second now. Yeah. That's evolved massively. Architecture's gone from a mud hut to, or, or a cave to beautiful properties that can now go hundreds of stories high yeah. or even building cities on water. It's revolutionised. But teaching, 200 years ago, you'd have sat in front of a teacher being bored to death for an hour with 30 other people. Now you sit in front of a teacher being bored to death for an hour with 30 other people. Yeah. Now that might be okay for some kids, mm-hmm. but it's not okay for all kids. Yeah. And if there's one or two or three left behind because of that way of teaching, then we need to t- change teaching or get them to a place where they can be taught better and more effectively for their learning style. Yeah. We've got to realise that education mm-hmm. is being held back. And part of me wonders if governments need to hold people back because the masses need to be paying mm-hmm. tax in a normal way yeah. rather than getting optimised in business uh, and, and becoming better at knowing how to uh, keep more of what they are yeah. saying. No, absolutely. And how, how, do you see, how do you see that journey actually going? Like, do you think that's achievable to get into the schools and change a model that's been no change for so long? Well, nothing's achievable till it's achievable. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the early adopters often get beaten down. Yeah. You know. I, so just you leave in the park and go into another yeah. in the park again and kind of try and... I mean, you look at look at the moment. Here we are today. The last couple of days, it's been all about Nigel Farage and, and being debanked, if you like, or depersoned, because you can't survive without a bank account. Yeah. Pardon me. Now, a lot of people in recent years have been debanked and nobody knows about it because they're embarrassed to say, mm-hmm. my bank closed my account because... I don't believe in the right politics or whatever it was. Or even if they weren't told why, they're just embarrassed. They don't tell anybody. They just kind of survive somehow and work on cash. Sometimes it takes someone like Nigel Farage to say, they debanked me because of my political beliefs. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. It's because he didn't have enough money. Then they find out that's a lie. It wasn't about that. 
Uh, and so bit by bit, one per- lots of people go through the pain and it doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Someone puts their head above the parapet who doesn't mind it being fired at, who's got thick skin, big balls, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, love him or hate him, the guy doesn't care about upsetting the establishment. Yeah. But someone's got to put their head up above mm-hmm. the parapet. And all of a sudden, government are getting involved and saying banks shouldn't be allowed to do that. We're going to pass laws that stop them. I can turn it off. If you like. Is that my fault? <laughs> I, I think that's it. Just keep going. Uh, you know, we, they're going to pass laws. So it does take change. But change doesn't happen overnight. So am I under any illusion that in the next five or ten years, you know, lots of great things, whether it's um, an amazing landscaper, plants an estate garden, knowing he'll never see it or she'll never yeah. see it at its best. Yeah, so or, you know, people might start building a cathedral knowing it, it probably won't be finished till they're dead. Yeah. doesn't mean it's not the right thing to, to start that journey yeah. and to do it for the future generations. Mm-hmm. And for these trades guys then, um, they, they leave the park that there was the norm and they're, they're going towards this new pack which might potentially be leaving being a tradesman on the tools to then being a business owner or building a team or whatever that may be how how do how do they venture across that sort of unknown area like once they're out the comfort zone a lot of them will go back because it's what they know they go back to the old pack yeah. how like when they're right in the, the middle like they can't really go back they can't go forward they're halfway across the river as such how do well, they get to the other side? Like what? I mean, let's stick with the pack mentality. Often, mm-hmm. when you go back, the pack will take you on. Yeah, but you're forever weakened. They look yeah. at you. You're, you're more of their gimp then. You try to go. You know, you go back. You got to go back with your tail between your legs. So you never even go back at the same level of respect. You yeah. know, you left. You deserted. We'll take you back, but you're now at yeah. a lower level. If you're so even going back. Once you've left, going back is not easy because one, you've had a taste of what you can yeah. have. You've seen what you can have. It's tough. Mm-hmm. It's really tough, and you feel lonely. Yeah. You know, when I when I was in retail and and away from home a lot, when my kids were little, and every, I would ring them every day and do this bath bottle bed, and I'd read them a bit of a story and say, "What's been great about your day today?" You know, but I was in Australia, I was in New Zealand, yeah. I was in America, so I wasn't physically seeing them a lot during mm-hmm. that time. That's hard. Yeah. But was it worth it? Absolutely. So I'll give people sayings that they can repeat. I will do today what others will not, so I can live tomorrow as others cannot. Mm-hmm. Having, I'm biased, but having a mentor helps them bridge that. Mm-hmm. Because the worst thing when you're going from this pack to this pack or this environment to this environment is that you're totally on your own. Yeah. Well, if you've got someone who says, you're not on your own, I'm with you, mate. Mm-hmm. I've been there before, I'll tell you what to do. Yeah. So a mentor is, you know, a coach is someone who can, in my uh, distinction is someone who's learned some skills that they can teach you or a process that they can teach you that you can follow mm-hmm. a mentor someone who's been there seen it done it experienced the pain experienced the pleasure yeah. and when you have the mistake they can say look that's just normal yeah i know it's uncomfortable but it's quite normal we can push through that yeah or let me, let me introduce you to this person over here who is going to welcome you into the new pack mm-hmm. might might shadow you a bit like when you go into a new school yeah. they say freddie look after mary yeah. you know and suddenly you're not on your own. You've got one person at least yeah. who speaks to you. You might introduce you to others. So a mentor can be a really good transition. If if you don't do that, you know, I often say to a lot of trades, again, I'm biased because I'm chairman of the Chamber of Commerce to people in Stanford. I think the Chamber of Commerce is an amazing organization. It's like a bridge between business and government. Mm-hmm. In some countries like Germany, you're not even allowed to set up a business unless you're a member of the Chamber of Commerce. But Chamber of Commerce, apart from helping with HR, with legal, with lots mm-hmm. of functional skills, the key thing they do as well is lots of networking. Yeah. So if you're leaving this um, pack yeah. 
you can go straight into a networking environment and it doesn't have to be chamber. It could be Federation of Small Business, mm-hmm. Institute of Great, uh, IGD, uh, if you're a retailer, it could be the IOD, Institute mm-hmm. of Directors. But you can go somewhere where they've actually set that up to say, come and join us. Yeah. Oh, we'll introduce you to this person, that person. Yeah. We'll do some teachings on uh, export, import. Mm-hmm. We'll do some stuff on HR. So there are organizations that yeah. make that transition really easy. If you do it on your own, it's tough. It's, yeah. re- you're, it, it's a very lonely place. It's a very depressing place. And then back to your, we were speaking about your book earlier before we, we, we went live, but the um, failure breeds success. So you, you had said to me that <clears throat> in, in order for anybody to be good at something, they need to be shit at, at it first. Is that almost this part again? So they leave the pack, they're then, yeah, yeah. They're then going to go to the Chamber of Commerce, they're probably going to feel as though they didn't deserve to be there to start with. Yeah, they don't, so, they don't need to be shit at it first. The reality is they probably are shit at it first. I mean, literally, like I said, learning to walk, we've never walked before. Yeah. So you see a kid, they sort of stumble up, they grab hold of a chair or something, and then they start up on their own and they fall over. Yeah. And then they up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. First time, you know, my kids would say, oh, Dad, I want to draw a, a horse kind of thing. And you think, I don't look anything like anything, let alone a horse. But you might say, oh, yeah, you know, what, what about this? It's four legs or, or whatever. And... They failed their way to success yeah. playing an instrument. It's like awful, makes your ears bleed. But the more they do it, the better they get. So it's not that they have to be shit first. They probably, if you accept that you're probably shit at everything until you're good at it. Yeah. Some things you will have a natural skill to. Some people naturally have a better eye for art. Some people naturally have a better ear for music. Mm-hmm. Some people, uh, you know, I've run several marathons, climbed mountains crossed oceans part of the clip around the world right all right i'm not the right physicality to do a lot of those things so i'm never going to be a two and a half hour marathon runner because my legs are just half the bloody length of some of these guys yeah, you know yeah. so that's um, natural. so i can do it so there is some natural propensity mm-hmm. and as we grow up we tend to find i've tried that i'm just, I'm just not i either don't enjoy it or yeah. i'm not that good at it i might try something else yeah. and you know kissing a lot of frogs to find a prince Try some different things to find out what you do have a flair for that you also have a passion for. Mm-hmm. Are you a believer in sort of like following your gut with these things? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like for me, like starting this podcast, like I'm I'm a roofer to trade. Do you know it's like a I sort of had that identity just being like a tradesman roofer, and then you sort of like you've mentioned, it's a great analogy around the park, like leaving the park, and then you kind of try and go into a new one, and you you start networking with business owners, and then you you find. Probably something that I've noticed from yourself as well. It looks as though you look to the people who's had success in the area you want to be and you almost go and mirror it. And I think that's probably yeah. something that Tony Robbins does speak about. He said you've been at some... Well, that's things. why I called my podcast Success is a System because, because it you is. Know, after I did Secret Millionaire, a lot of people almost either piss-taking or as a bit of a play on that would say, so what's the secret of success then? Yeah. And I would say... That was 12, uh, 11, 12 years ago. Now. And I'd say then what I say now, there's no secrets to success. Mm. There are systems to success. And the exciting thing is there's not one powerful one system. There's lots of different systems. You know, Charlie Mullins did it different to Alfie, did it different to yeah. Neville, did it different to Bill Gates, did it different, you know. Yeah. And these people each had a different type of approach or different cocktail of systems that yeah. worked for them. So if you can find out what the systems of success are mm-hmm. and emulate them, then you can be successful too. Yeah. And if you think, well, I just don't like that approach. You don't, I don't feel it works. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, find another system. Yeah. So the systems are out there that you can emulate to be successful. Um, but 
And that comes back to education. As a doctor of education, someone who's really passionate about education, to me, you drove down here, you guys all drove down here. You, when you first learned to drive, you'd have thought, Christ, it's hundreds of miles. I wouldn't want to do that. I don't know if I, you know, if I'll fall asleep or, you know, but now you probably did it without even thinking about it and you were chatting, you were enjoying the journey. Yeah. Um, so when you learn to drive, at first you have to learn to pass your test. And people say, I learned to drive. Well, I don't think you learn to drive till you've done about 10,000 miles. Yeah. But you will learn to pass your test. That's the foundation upon which you can build with experience yeah. to become a good driver. Mm-hmm. Education in school is a foundation that teaches you to learn mm-hmm. and hopefully gives you some passion to want to learn. But real education starts beyond school. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's one of the awakenings I try and bring out in people and say, you are where you choose to be at any point in life. Mm-hmm. Well, if I wasn't, I would choose to be here. Okay, well, where would you choose to be? Yeah. Well, I'd want his fucking car or I'd want her house. Yeah. Okay, well, look at what they did to yeah. get that car, to hey, get that house. What was the system? That they, yeah. They oh, well, they, they, he got given it by his mum and dad. Okay, what did his dad do? Someone yeah. started from nothing more yeah. than you've got and built that. What systems, what approaches, what behaviours? Yeah. Uh, if you emulate success, it is like an equation. If you do all the things that mm-hmm. someone else does, your propensity to win is much, much higher. Yeah. And if you if you match that with actually being in something that you're pretty good at as yeah. well, like you're going to 10x that like forward because, like you said, if it was a, a marathon, for example, and you're not really going to be good at running a marathon, like you're kind of playing the wrong game. But if you've already got an idea in business, you've maybe been a <clears> trades tradesmen, tradeswomen, you've started up, you've got yourself off the tools, you're a wee bit stuck, it's like, you're already quite good at it, you're kind of part of the way there, but then maybe like, yeah, a I mean, mentor or someone on site to actually show you the bits that you don't I, know. I'd, like you're I'd probably say yes and no to yeah. that. And the reason I'd say yes and no is, if you're good at something, you're probably good at it because you've got a passion for it. Yeah. So, I mean, let's go back a little bit to education firstly. What was your favourite subject in school? Probably PE, I would say. Why was that your favourite subject? Because it was fun, I think. And Why was it fun? Um, I don't know. Because it was physical and probably because I could compete in it, to be okay. honest. So you had some natural ability. Yeah. So natural ability, a lot of people might say maths, and I'll say, why maths? And say, because the teacher made it interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of either I've got a natural ability and I... You, I enjoyed it. Well, you enjoyed it because you were good at it, you know, or whatever. Or the teacher made it interesting, yeah. enjoyable, fun. So often what we end up doing can come from someone who ignited a natural passion or a passion to learn to mm-hmm. be better. Okay. So we we got to look at that. But when you say, so you've got to be good at something to, to or helps to build a business, sometimes that becomes people's biggest anchor. Mm. So they're so good at being a plumber or they're so good at being a chef mm. that they can't leave the kitchen yeah, or, or they can't easily delegate. Because if you're the best plumber on the planet or the best roofer yeah. on the planet, everyone you get to employ, you're going to think he's fucking slow or he's not good enough. And you're going to constantly be sucked back to being on the tools. Yeah. And the same in lots of skills. So actually, sometimes people who are only 80 or 90% as good as they could be, mm-hmm build better businesses because they more easily transition to delegate rather than do. And the hardest thing for someone who has a passion for what they do and is excellent at it is accepting that to scale, you need to let people be not quite as good as you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same with teaching our kids. If we expect them to be perfect every time, we're never going to let them fail. Failure breeds success. We need to let them fall off the bike to learn to ride a bike. We need to, you know, as a chef, you need to let them 
that the thing's in the oven, it's going to burn. Shall I tell them? No, I'll let it burn. Yeah. They need to learn that they, they weren't, didn't have their eye on that, whatever it is. Uh, you've got to let some roofers go out and then you go back and check and think, why the fuck did you do that? Yeah. If you sack them just because they made a mistake, then they're yeah. going to go, they're not going to, you know, you've not, not got, got an well. improved person. Yeah, you've got to improve. So, so to me, even if you are the best of your game, be conscious that you're the best, mm-hmm. but 90% times 10 is better than 100% times one yeah. if you're trying to scale a business. Now, does that mean you take the 90% person and say that's only 90% that's good, uh, that's okay? No, you try and grow them and improve them yeah. and say, look, you've done, a, you've done a good job, yeah. but what I'd have done differently to make it great, and you transition them from good mm-hmm. to great. Mm-hmm. And if they won't transition from good to great, you let them go. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And do you think that growth then, so like I, I had said there about the gut feeling, it's like, I just had a gut feeling about starting a podcast and it probably wasn't the exact blueprint of a roofing <clears> trade or whatever or a roofing business owner um, but just something in my gut says I'm going to go and try that and I'm going to I'm, I'm willing to be a novice at it and learn as I go and you know that now I'm sitting here having a great conversation with you and stuff just comes off the back of your network grows and you, you learn new things and you've got to be a wee bit probably up against it I guess yeah. and then and then like you know you maybe start to feel like you're getting a wee bit of traction then you're like oh now I've got a wee bit of pressure to actually keep this going and like I, I'm quite a believer in like you should go and challenge yourself in new sort of like as a new industry as such because yeah. podcasting's nothing to do with roofing but I'm, I'm trying to do it in such a way that it, it all comes back together like are you quite an advocate of that of just going and yeah, well, trying something if you look at most businesses, that's exactly what they did. Yep. They didn't start perfect. You know, mm-hmm. look at, say, if you thought Tesco's were a good retailer, look at what they do today. Mm-hmm. Well, they started as a delicatessen. Yeah. You know, um, uh, uh, and Jack Cohen, Tesco's Cohen, Jack Cohen started off a little delicatessen and they got a couple. Then they, as time went on, they looked into self-service. Then they looked into faster systems, more more effective mm-hmm. displays, better lighting. They evolved along the way. Mm-hmm. McDonald's, you know, two brothers and then Ray Kroc Kro- yeah. became a franchisee and they were constantly saying, oh, we need to change that a little bit or we can get a better piece of equipment. They didn't wait to be perfect to start mm-hmm. off. The Americans have a saying, which I love, which is set off and course correct. Yeah. You know, get, get your map planned out. Decide where you think you're going. Get it to the best you can get it today, but don't wait till it's perfect because you'll never start. Yeah. Set off and then course correct. Because yeah. if you've got momentum, even if you decide to go the complete opposite way, it's easier to turn yeah. with momentum than from a standing start. Yeah, so you don't have to be perfect to start. You can fail your way to success yeah. and you can evolve along the way. And, you know, part of that, again, is talking to people like Charlie Mullins. You know, oh, you know, why did you become such a great PR person? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I learned that if I got in the papers, more people, yeah. uh, so they said, oh, I saw you in the papers, or they rang me, I saw you in the papers. I thought, that's a good way to get business. Yeah. You know, I could pay six million quid for an advert on, on the national telly, or I could do something that will get me in, in the papers. Yeah. Uh, and then everything became a PR opportunity. Yeah. You know, an example that he gave was um, they uh, got in the in international press for having the oldest employee, mm-hmm. a 99-year-old uh, car washer kind of thing. Well, yeah. Where'd that come from, Charlie? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I used to be a guy I walked past every day on his way to the pub mm-hmm. and I got a chat to him. He's a funny old bloke, 99 years old. He said, I said, look, buy yourself a drink on me. He's 20 quid. He said, I, I don't want any handouts. He says, it's not handouts. Just have a drink. He said, no, I've always worked for all my money. I, I'll, I'll work for it, but I'm not being given it. So what can you do? Well, I can wash a car. Okay, wash a car. So did he wash cars the fastest in the world? Of course he didn't. 
But then Charlie ring up the PR guys, ring up Carl and say, Carl, I've got this guy 99. He's a great guy. We're enjoying it. I really like him. Mm -hmm. So it's not exploiting, you know, yeah. he wants to work, it's a bit of extra pin money, a couple of extra pints, mm -hmm. whatever. It's good for me. Is there any PR in it? Well, let's wait till it's 100. Well, yeah. I mean, well, what if you don't make it? Let's start at 99. <laughs> Within an afternoon, the whole world's press are there. Yeah. You know, how it, how much is that worth to get that? Yeah. Uh, and see the guy enjoying it because he's not he's not useless at 99. Yeah. He's, he's feeling, he's still earning some money. That's amazing. Uh, and, and Charlie's enjoying that relationship. The guy's enjoying that relationship. You know, we don't have to... No, no, people don't start off, even Elon Musk, Christ, the guy's got close to bankruptcy so many times. Mm. The biggest thing he's got that other people haven't got is he's not scared of failure. Yeah. Fear of failure is the biggest anchor that will hold people back. Yeah. And if you're scared to fail, you'll probably never try. And if you don't try, you'll never succeed. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And the biggest thing is people are scared to fail. Mm-hmm. And that's worse in, in, in today's world than it was when we were younger because everyone's scared that not just my little group will know that I failed, the whole world will know mm -hmm. that I failed because of social media. It can go fast now. Yeah, but equally, I'd say to people, if it's, oh, this happened, it was terrible, i say, I guarantee you, when have you ever gone back to yesterday's tweets mm -hmm. or yesterday's yeah. Facebook or last week's or last week's? last week's news. With yeah, it's like within seconds, we've swiped on. You know, and okay, it might get churned up now and again and you know I've been it's only failure if you stop I guess as well like if you well, stop and you let that define you and then you're like that's it and I'm never going again yeah. well we learned the lesson much quicker when I was trekking in the pool with my brother we stopped in these what they call tea huts they're little shacks really but um, and we're, there's fire in the middle and uh, we're sitting there waiting for them to cook some dull bar or something and the little kid looked like hey, 18 month old is crawling along towards the fire and say, Oh, oh, fire, fire, fire. He says, It's okay, it's okay. No, he'll burn himself. Is it only once? Yeah. You know, it's like, Fuck, they're going to burn himself. But they know he'll, he'll touch it, he'll soon recall. Yeah. But he'll never go near that fire again. Yeah. You know, the problem is sometimes we protect people so much that they've never learned. Or they, or they learn really slowly because yeah. they've never been burned. Protecting them from the failure. Does that mean you let kids get hurt? Well, no, but the opposite of that is making them so protective that they never leave their bedroom.